Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news, along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Here we go, folks. Welcome back once again. I am pleased to have with me today from the Allen County Prosecutor's Office, the prosecutor herself, Karen Richards, has finally uh, made her way down to speak with me. This has been like a two or three month begging and pleading with her (laughs) to uh, come speak with me. But folks, I'm telling you what, uh, I'm happy to have her here. Uh, Karen Richards is the Allen County Prosecutor. And she has been for some time, but I'm going to let her kind of introduce herself and explain how she went through what she went through to get where she's at right now. Uh, Karen, I'm so happy to have you here today with us. Thanks. Is it kind of interesting to interview your boss? Uh, (laughs) See, I wasn't going to tell anybody that, but I'm going to be on my best behavior so that I can make it another day. (laughs) But but thanks for being here. You're welcome. Good. Uh, Go ahead and explain how you became... Where did you come from to where you're at right now, in a nutshell, if you you can? In a nutshell, uh, I began with the office in 1981. There was a vacancy in misdemeanor court, and I knew the prosecutor there. And we were actually at a party one evening, and uh, Greg Antalis called up the then-elected prosecutor, who was Arnold Doomling, and said, you know, I, I'm not going to be working five days a week in misdemeanor court. I've got two days that you need to hire somebody. I've got somebody standing next to me. She wants the job. Uh, can she have it? And he asked me to get on the phone, and I said, you know, good evening, sir. I'm so-and-so. And he says, show up on Monday. I'll swear you in. <laughs> I don't think it works like that anymore, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, but so Arnie hired me, and... I moved my way up through the office. I started out in misdemeanor, went into the felony division, and then I ran for election in 2002 and was elected and started in 2003. Hmm. With with everything that you see on the news today, um, I'm sure along the way, throughout your career, and even even probably still today, there were there were uh, roadblocks, hurdles, and things that you had to go over. Uh, do you want to talk about any of that? The struggles you may have had to go through. You know, it was pretty easy to get the job. Yeah, yeah, we just heard. (laughs) Simple phone call. Doing well on the job was (laughs) interesting. Um, I was the first woman, I think, that was ever a trial attorney with the office. So that was kind of interesting. And I had folks that were very good to me along the way, Mm -hmm. folks that were not so good to me along the way. But I had a, a great group of officers mm-hmm. that sort of helped me out and, and walked me through the system and befriended me. And the judges were always, for the most part, good. Good. And you, and you enjoy what you do. You know, I really do like what I do. I've done it pretty much my whole life. It's mm-hmm. been a career for me. And I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it. It, it. it was interesting at the beginning because the office wasn't really very specialized everybody did a little bit of everything and Mm -hmm. it became apparent as time went on that that system really didn't work very well we were a big enough city so that people really had to specialize in areas and because of the work i'd done in my private practice i kept a private practice at first as well 
And because of the work I did in my private practice, it became pretty evident that we needed a division that dealt with women and children's issues. So I, I pretty much put that together. Mm-hmm. And that became my home in the office for many, many years. So you're very active with the SCAN, right? I have been. Um, I am past president of that board. I'm also the president of the Dr. Bill Lewis Center board as well. What what is that? Explain what that is. That is is our child advocacy center. That is a, a neutral center where children who there has been an allegation of sexual abuse uh, come to be interviewed by a trained forensic interviewer. And the, the whole purpose of that interview is to deal with children in a neutral, child-friendly atmosphere. And basically, we're truth seekers. We're, we're trying to figure out exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So throughout your career, I mean, you're the prosecutor now. What area prior to this did you really enjoy? You know, when I was in private practice, and I was in private practice up until 2003, probably my favorite part of that is I did a lot of chins work. I was guardian ad litem for kids that were in the the child protective services system. Their parents had been accused of abuse or neglect. A lot of them had been removed. A lot of them were in foster care. And I really enjoyed representing, you know, those kids. Some of them turned out well. Some of them didn't turn out well. Some of them I'm still very close to. Some right. of them I still get calls from. Oh, um, my one little buddy still calls me mom. Um, <laughs> you know, some of us as lawyers became the constant in their lives because right. caseworkers would change all the time and we were the constant. Mm-hmm. So I developed some long-term relationships and really think that I made some differences in kids' lives. Good. Good. Now, tell me this this passion you have for animals. Always have had. Uh, my grandfather was a veterinarian. Ah. Um, my mother believed that anything that came to you should be taken in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if it showed up at the door, it was ours. <laughs> <laughs> Not at my house. <laughs> um, so we had cats and dogs and possums and, you know, all kinds of hamsters and fish and all kinds of stuff. Now, wait, how does a house. fish show up at your door? <laughs> uh, well, those you go to the okay, pet store right. by. <laughs> But we had, you know, whatever we wanted, we pretty much could have as long right. as we took care of it. So, uh, so we had a little bit of everything at our house. Yeah, but for some reason now, I mean, you put a lot into uh, the, the abuse of animals. I have. I had a conversation many, many years ago with Belinda Lewis, who was then mm-hmm. uh, head of animal care and control. And, uh, you know, we'd had a chat about the fact that we never it we we didn't see very many animal abuse cases in the office we would see cockfighting or dog fighting but Mm -hmm. we wouldn't see a lot of you know your your regular pet animal abuse kinds of things and i asked her why not and she said well you know we we just didn't we weren't sure you you were interested or that you'd take them seriously so I made the mistake of telling her I would be more than happy to look at those cases. And that was sort of the beginning. Right. And it really has escalated. And, and we've got several cases pending all the time now. Mm-hmm. Um, they come, you know, fairly regularly. Right. And I am always amazed at the things. I mean, just like people will do the unthinkable to each other, they'll do the unthinkable to animals as well. And people wonder, you know, why that's important. Well, it is important because they've done a lot of psychological studies and they've done a lot of studies of career felons. And most career felons in the area of of murder, 
child abuse, rape, they all started out abusing animals, arsonists as well, yeah. Hmm. Um, And there's a lot of animal abuse and domestic violence cases. So when you really peel away the layers, if you can deal with that issue at the inception, Mm -hmm. you can maybe keep people from becoming career criminals. There you go. Well, see, you're always thinking. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I told a lot of people that I was going to get a chance to talk to the Karen Richards, and there's a million questions. They were saying, oh, ask her this, ask her that. Well, I think you can answer a whole lot of questions if you could walk us through. I'm not telling you to you know, give up any cases that are going mm-hmm. on, but from the time you get involved, when your office gets involved, yeah. when you end up getting called out, walk us through because there's a lot of questions about why does it take so long? Why is there plea agreements? Why is this and that? Kind of walk us through a any homicide. You don't have to name any names, but when do you get involved and what are you looking for and what happens? Yeah, um, homicides are a little different than other cases, obviously. One of the reasons... Um, is that we get called to the scene on homicides. Okay, we're going to um, use a homicide. You're yeah, at the scene. Yeah, there we go. And so what we're there really is is just to get a visual and also to be there in case law enforcement needs a search warrant. Um, we're really not there to interfere with their investigation, mm-hmm. but, but more just to get a visual uh, to see, you know, what the scene looks like, where things happened. Um, and especially in the cases of, of children, we're also there uh, to make sure that the scene gets processed properly and, and we, get a, we get a look-see on everything. Um, then there is usually some kind of debriefing on homicides that mm-hmm. we're part of, too, that walks us through where the investigation is, where it's going, and basically gives us a status. Then at that point, it's really up to law enforcement. They go out and they interview witnesses and they mm-hmm. collect evidence. And they, when all of that is done, the scientific testing, whatever needs to be done, they put it all together in a written case forward it to our office. And then at that point, we begin to review things. And we're looking to see is there information that supports each element of a murder charge? Is there any scientific evidence that supports it? Are we clear that we can prove that this particular person did this particular thing? And sometimes there's other things that need to be done, other witnesses that need to be interviewed. Um, We're waiting for testing to be done. So sometimes we send things back and we'll ask for more information. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there because I know people are thinking right now mm-hmm. that they're watching a hour-long TV show and this gets yeah. done. From the time you were at the scene to the time it comes to your office, how long do you normally I mean, give be, an average? It can be weeks. Okay. It can be weeks. It just depends on each individual situation. I mean, if it's something that happens in a neighborhood and we think that the neighbors might be witnesses, then every single neighbor in the neighborhood needs to be interviewed. And that's taken some time. It takes some time, and it takes DNA or fingerprints or anything, weeks if not months to be finished. So these things don't come to us particularly quickly all Mm -hmm. the time. And sometimes there is no suspect. Sometimes we never get a suspect. Um, So Mm -hmm. sometimes we'll never get a case because we never get a suspect. Okay. So it's, it's gotten to you. You guys are looking it over. You're waiting on other stuff to come, other tests to be done. Then what happens? Then if we decide that we can prove the charge beyond a reasonable doubt, it gets filed. If mm-hmm. we decide we can't, it gets declined. Um, that means it either goes back for more work or if law enforcement is at a dead end, then it, it, 
it stops, it goes right. into their cold case file, and they continue to look at things. But if we file charges, um, then the whole legal procedure with the court involvement begins. The warrant is sworn out for the person's arrest. They're mm-hmm. arrested. They come in. On a homicide, they're held no bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the court hearings begin. You know, there's there's a preliminary hearing. Then you'll come to the point where the defendant gets an attorney, um, and then it goes through the whole process. And then that's another long delay. There are delays. There's absolutely delays because most homicides have an awful lot of documentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's interviews. There's videos. There's scientific testing. There's all kinds of things that both the state and the defense attorney have to look at. And, you know, it's not since it because of the severity of the case, um, it, you know, Defense attorneys, it, it takes a little bit for them right. to figure things out um, and review everything that we send them. Sometimes they want to take depositions of the witnesses. Sometimes mm-hmm. they want to hire their own expert. So those things take a little bit of time. Right. So that's when people are getting frustrated mm-hmm. and they start pointing in fingers and blaming but they don't understand the whole process. Is that yeah. about how that works? I mean, defendants have rights, and you want them to have rights. That's you know, that's the cornerstone of our legal system. Is you know, defendants have the right to you know zealous representation, and you wouldn't want their attorney um, not to review right. all of these things, not to have access to taking statements from witnesses, not to have access to. Uh, deposing our forensic pathologist or whoever mm-hmm. our expert is. Right. D- defendants deserve that. So all of that takes time. So let's say who makes the, well, not let's say, let me ask you this, who makes the decision if you're going to go to trial? You know, that's a decision that's case specific and it's made between uh, the defendant, the defendant's attorney, and whoever the prosecutor is from our office. Mm-hmm. In every case, we decide, are we going to give a plea offer to a defendant or are we not? Um, What we give depends on the strength of our case, Mm -hmm. uh, the wishes of the uh, victim's family, uh, defendant's criminal history. It depends on all kinds of things. Um, That offer is is sometimes never given. Sometimes, you know, we're looking at the max and we're not Mm -hmm. interested. Um, Other times there will be an offer given. It goes to defense counsel. That's discussed with the defendant. And it depends on what the defendant's feeling on the whole thing is as well. And the advice of his counsel, his or her counsel. So the family has knowledge of what's going on with all of that. Absolutely, yeah. And they can get a say in there. They get a say, yeah. Okay, so it's just not on your shoulders. No, um, we're always interested. I mean, by law we have to, but we would do Mm -hmm. it regardless. I mean, this is their family member. This is their loved one, and they deserve to know what's going on at each stage of the trial and to have some input. Um, Sometimes if they want things that we can't give them, Mm -hmm. you know, we can't do what they ask, but we always try to take their feelings into consideration. Now, you said something there that is another question that someone was throwing at me when they knew I was going to talk to you. You said (laughs) this whole thing about plea agreements. How do you decide who you're going to plead with and what is how does that happen? You know, like I said, it's on a case-by-case basis, and it has Mm -hmm. to do with a lot of things. It has to do with, you know, the input of the victim. Um, Does the victim want to go to trial, or does the victim not want to go to trial? Um, What's the defendant's criminal history? How strong is our case? How strong are our witnesses? Um, 
do we have our witnesses? Right. You right. know, a lot of times they disappear. They refuse to come to court right, or, right. Uh, you know, people do all kinds of interesting things. So it's on a case-by-case basis and then taking all of those considerations into our decisions. Sometimes we offer a plea, sometimes we don't. Right. So I know this is going to be a tough question. Uh, let's say in a year you're taking cases to court to trial how many of what percentages plead out do you know you know on lower level crimes probably the largest percentage pleads out mm-hmm. on homicides and sex offenses there's a much lower percentage that pleads out i don't know that you can give a number yeah. or a percentage mm-hmm. but i would say on lower level crimes where people's exposure to uh, you know a lengthy sentence is not is not much. They're much more willing to plead guilty. Right. Um, most of our sex crimes go to trial. Okay. A lot of our homicides go to trial. And again, you're you're making sure you've got everything before you go. Right. Making sure you've got everything a hundred not not a hundred percent, but pretty darn close, right? Right. And right. and, and you you want to win. You're not going in there. <laughs> no, I mean, there's no if, if if we don't believe that we can prove something beyond a reasonable doubt. Number one, we don't file it, mm-hmm. and if we don't have a belief we can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, there's no point in trying it. Right now, so it's up to the detectives to send the cases over to you Correct. guys looking for charges. Correct. So, do you have a clue on how many they may get versus how many actually come over? You know, on homicides, we do because. Mm-hmm. You know, we have regular meetings with those detectives to determine where we are and what's right. going on with those cases. On other cases, probably not. Okay, but they're always working on something. They always are. And if they don't send it, then you, you guys don't even see it. That's normally the way it works, yeah. Okay, and are you in on everything, or are you just in on the big stuff, if that you makes know, sense? I have <laughs> a great group of attorneys Um, We've divided the office into subject matter sections. There's Mm -hmm. a section chief in each of those, and I try not to micromanage their work. So, no, I am not involved in much of what they do. That's just you trust the people under you to do their job. I do. I mean, they're good people. They know (laughs) what they're doing, and frankly, they don't need my interference. If they need help, I'm there, but I don't need to get in the middle of what they do. That's why they're there. Well, that's called a good leader. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to ask you this question here because it it was big for a while, and I haven't heard much about it. There was a group that was making a big ruckus a while back, and I think it was called Flip the City. Is that right? I think that was it, yeah. What was their big complaint? I I guess I never really got into it, but what were they really complaining about? I think folks whose families have been victim of, victims of homicide are worried that we have a lot of unsolved cases and Mm -hmm. we do Mm -hmm. um part of that is because people are not willing to come forward i mean we we have really the atmosphere has really changed over the years it used to be that people took personal responsibility for what happened in their families Mm -hmm. what happened in their neighborhoods and what happened in their communities and there was nothing wrong with calling the police and saying I just saw so-and-so do such-and-such. Right. Now there is this mentality that anybody that cooperates with the police is a snitch. (laughs) Nobody wants to be a snitch. And people have gotten to the point where they don't want to get involved. And the fact that they don't want to get involved and they don't feel that commitment to their families and their communities, 
I think is something that's had a real negative effect um, on our community and other communities across the country. So you've been the prosecutor long enough. You've seen this change. I've seen a huge change. So when you first started, people were, everyone. It was, was not like this. It was not. And, um, and when that happens, when people are not willing to come mm-hmm. forward, that just feeds crime because criminals know that, that nobody's going to turn them in. Right. So we're trying really hard, the police are, to, to work within the community and get folks willing to become involved. Okay. Now, I'm asking you this. I'm going to push it back a little bit more here. Have you seen a change in the way people are treating and respecting police officers from the oh, time Oh, absolutely, you yeah. Does that have something to do with the fact that people I, aren't coming I forward? I think so, too. I, I, I think it does, yeah. And, and why, do you, why do you think this change? I mean, I've seen I it on really, social media. I and, really don't know because I, I think police are more professional every, every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are, there are folks that, that just don't respect authority period Mm -hmm. and it's just not police officers and it's just not police officers Mm -hmm. i think people have gotten much more willing to say lots of hateful things i Mm -hmm. mean i think social media has in some ways been our friend and in other ways not been our friend right now changing gears a little bit here just the was it yesterday they had the one-year anniversary for april tinsley Mm -hmm. the arrest that was made and now was that a high point in your career? You know, I think the solving of that case and sentencing John Miller probably was because I was in the office mm-hmm. um, when April Tinsley was murdered. And so, you know, that's one of the good things about having some history with the office is, mm-hmm. you know, I remember all that. I remember it well. Um, I was in the sex crimes division when it happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, finding that perpetrator i think was incredibly important for the entire community right and for law enforcement too because i was uh, that that is a case that never went away Mm -hmm. there were a couple of cases like that that just never went away that they continued to be worked they continued to weigh on people's minds i mean this was a tragedy that happened to the entire community right right um so yeah i it uh that was one of the big positives, I think, in the last almost 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and knowing you, well, the little bit I know about you, some of these that are still weighing on your mind, do they still stay there? Do you still? Sure they do. Yeah. Yeah, sure they do. How, how do you, I mean, all these years you've been doing this, how do you deal with that? I mean. You know, people ask me that every once in a while. And I think one of the things you need to do is, is you've got to have some other focuses in your life mm-hmm. other than the work that you do. Because, I, you know, I think people really discount um, the effect that seeing this has on everybody involved in the system. Mm-hmm. And it's not. You know, it's not just victims' families. I think officers that see death day after day, uh, prosecutors that go out to scenes and and see children who have been murdered, uh, you know, young adults that have been murdered, everybody that sees this Mm -hmm. is affected by it. Mm -hmm. And I think you've got to find other focuses in your life, um, you know, that you enjoy. Right. Or else you cannot compartmentalize that in a way that it needs to be. 
Now, are you allowed to tell us one of your focuses? You know, or I do lots you... of different things in the community. I'm pretty involved in uh, historic preservation and history. I've been, you know, president of the board at the History Center. I've been president of the board at Arch. I'm still involved in both of those organizations. And I really do believe that you that our history, number one, in this town is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but number two, it's important to figure out where you've been in order to figure out where you're going. And there's some incredible lessons um, that you can learn from the past. And again, you've been doing this a long time. And I'm going to ask you this because I hear people complain. Is this, does the system work? You know, I don't think the system is perfect. So mm-hmm. if somebody says, is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. Um, does it work? Yes. Um, I've traveled all around the world, and I'm telling you that when you go to other places and you see how it works there, it is very worrisome. I think out of all the systems I've seen, we have the best. Mm-hmm. Um are there things that could be improved? Absolutely. Are there things that don't work so well? Oh, yeah, there are. But are there other things that I think work well? Yeah, I think the jury system is a good one. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, the whole concept that we have that people are innocent until and only if they are proven guilty right. is the appropriate system. I think the rights defendants have and the rights victims have are important. Uh, and you don't have that in a lot of other countries. Right. Now, Tough question here. Your relationship with the Fort Wayne Police Department, police chief, is it good, bad, or could it get better? What do you think? You know, I think my relationship with them has always been good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I, I really, really enjoy our current police chief. I think he does a great job. Um, former police chief Gary Hamilton um, you know, works in our office now, and we've been friends for 30 years. I saw him wandering um, around the hall. I thought he was lost. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you offered him a job. <laughs> Ah, you know, I couldn't just let him walk the streets, oh my Cleveland. <laughs> I was going to give him a sandwich or something. My goodness. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think we've got a good relationship. I mean, you know, there's always cases I think law enforcement wants us to file that we don't mm-hmm. and uh, things that we file that maybe they're not so sure right, of. Right. And, and I don't think we always see eye to eye on everything, but we are a team. Good. And I have the greatest respect for law enforcement. Good, good. Um, one thing that came up in digging in your history here, uh, supposedly uh, you got second place, I think it was, in a singing competition uh, over Christmas. <laughs> where you belted we, out. I we think don't was, need to mention that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just it's part of the history here, you know. <laughs> Someone said you sang a, a version of Santa Baby, and I guess it got second place. Is that true? Or did they... I don't know. You voted. You tell me. <laughs> well, I'm just telling you. That's, that came up. That was Someone said, ask her that question about Santa Baby. <laughs> you know, you've got to participate in some of the silly things that your office does. It's good for everybody. Yeah, yeah and uh, I can say I, I enjoyed it. I can tell you that. That was good. Well, Karen, I tell you what, uh, a lot of people knew I was going to talk to you, and we finally made this happen and uh i really appreciate the fact that you took the time out of your busy day i know how busy you are I, I, I try to catch you in between uh, news stories <laughs> just to talk with you but uh hopefully uh, listeners out there you got a better understanding on how the system works and why she does what she does and uh, that she is fighting for you and uh, not against you 
on her highs and lows in her career. Uh, Karen, this has been great. I've enjoyed every bit of working Thanks here, and so I've been, much, enjoyed talking with you, too. This I have fun as stuff. well. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for listening out there. And um, again, if you have any questions or comments, you can always reach us at policepodtalk at gmail.com. Uh, ask us anything or maybe throw out a question maybe I didn't ask uh, our prosecutor, and we can always ask again. Thanks for being with us on Police Pod Talk. <laughs>